Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Satirius Johnson. There is no better way to explore California than the open road, and this episode will highlight several routes and itineraries you may not be familiar with. We'll start with author Jessica Dunham, who loves road tripping in and around Joshua Tree National Park and Death Valley National Park. I don't know if you've ever seen desert wildflowers, but they're so colorful and they're so beautiful. And like most wonderful things about the desert, you just can't believe they're there. (laughs) After that, author Anne-Marie Brown returns to the show to discuss some of her favorite scenic byways in the state. And the best part is you get to sit out on their great big deck, which overlooks the river, and you can see kayakers going by and swimmers jumping into the water. And it's just a really happy scene out there. And Jeremy and Leah Garcia of Practical Wanderlust share a few of their favorite attractions along Highway 1 north of San Francisco. That's all coming up on California Now. My next guest knows a thing or two about the unique possibilities for road trippers visiting California's deserts. Jessica Dunham is the author of the guidebook The Open Road, as well as the newly updated and expanded Route 66 road trip. She's here to tell us how to get the most out of exploring the fascinating deserts of the Golden State. Welcome to California Now, Jessica. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So start us off, you know, California's deserts are vast, far bigger than many people realize. If I'm flying in from out of state and renting a car for my road trip, what's a good place to start? I always say start in Palm Springs. It is an oasis in the middle of that vast desert that you talked about. And it's just a perfect place to, to fly into and kind of get settled before you hit the road. Mm-hmm. And what's what's what makes it so special um, of a place to, to really start that desert road trip? Well, you can be in the middle of Palm Springs and you'll have palm trees and sparkling swimming pools and beautiful mid-century architecture. And then as soon as you drive your car just a little bit outside of the city, you are suddenly in the middle of just breathtaking desert isolation. So it really (laughs) is like this gem of an oasis. Like you can't even believe that it exists in the middle of the desert. Right. And we could do a whole show just on Palm Springs itself, but we're talking about deserts now. So, so, so maybe you've had maybe a day or two in Palm Springs enjoying, you know, those sparkling pools and the amazing architecture and the restaurants and everything. But now we want to head out and experience the desert. Where should I head first from Palm Springs? So it's very easy to get to the epic, the amazing Joshua Tree National Park from Palm Springs. You're looking about, it's like 60 miles, so maybe an hour and a half um, to head to the west entrance of Joshua Tree National Park. Mm, Okay. And uh, for people who've never been to Joshua Tree National Park, I mean, I've been there. It's amazing. Um, It almost has like this otherworldly quality that I love. How do you describe Joshua Tree to people who've never been there? The cool thing about Joshua Tree, if we're talking about California deserts, is that you're actually hitting two deserts in one park. So um, you have the Mojave Desert and the Colorado Desert, which Joshua Tree encompasses both. It's about 800,000 acres, the park itself. Hmm. And it is filled with the namesake, the Joshua tree, which um, even though it's called a tree, it's actually a yucca, which is a very special desert plant. And Joshua trees only grow at a certain elevation and in a certain temperate climate. So 
for anyone coming from anywhere else in the country or even around the world, this is one of the only places in the world where you can see this, as you described it, otherworldly alien-esque tree that's not a tree that's actually <laughs> a yucca. <laughs> yeah. And then you also have kind of like these vast stretches of kind of rocky terrain and outcroppings and things like that can kind of kind of paint a picture for people who have never, you know, even seen a picture of the Joshua Tree National Park. So if you're coming in on the west entrance, which is where this road trip that I have in the book details, so you'll be coming from Palm Springs, about an hour drive, entering in the west side. As you come in, you will see, I think the best way to describe it are there's sort of these very rounded, big boulders, like just almost like hoodoos, like stacks of boulders everywhere. And then interspersed, you'll see acatillo, which is another type of cactus that's very long and spindly and in the spring blooms these teeny tiny red blooms at the top. And you'll see creosote bushes and then the, the actual Joshua tree everywhere. And what's great about Joshua Tree National Park is it's very easy to do a scenic drive. So a lot of people go there for rock climbing and hiking and camping, all of which I highly recommend doing. Um, but if you're like, eh, I just kind of want to do, you know, stay in my air conditioned car and drive around, you can very easily do that. And I don't know, are you a stargazer? Do you? I am enjoy? totally a stargazer. Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> well, Joshua Tree, for all of you stargazers out there, is an amazing place to see sort of the celestial skies. It's an international dark sky designated place, which just means that. Um, this sort of international governing body has deemed it a very important place to stargaze. But um, there's a couple of really nice roadside pullouts where you can get in some good stargazing. The one I like is on the Pinto Basin Road. It's kind of between the Choya Cactus Garden and the Cottonwood Campground. There's a great little pullout there. A lot of people miss it, so you kind of have it to yourself. So if you like stargazing, that's what I would suggest you do. Mm. You know, I know a lot of people go camping in Joshua Tree. What's that like? Oh, that's a special experience. So, <laughs> oh, I love that. I mean, there are wonderful places to stay in the town of Joshua Tree, which is just kind of outside of that west entrance that I was talking about. And I have one that I can recommend. It's amazing. But if you're a camper, I would suggest getting one of the, reserving one of the spots at Jumbo Rocks Campground. There's about 124 um, camping spots there. So you have a good chance of getting one. It's 20 bucks to rent a camp spot. And you're just surrounded by those big boulders that I was talking about, which mm. just makes you feel like a kid again, because all you want to do is scramble over them and climb up and just <laughs> adult playground. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I have to ask you, though, so for people who aren't campers or maybe who don't want to camp this this road trip, uh, what is that recommendation for the hotel? This is one of my newer favorite places. It's not it's not has not been around that long. It's called the Joshua Tree House. It's just outside the west entrance. And it is um, there's basically two little casitas that you can rent. Each of them sleep about four to six people. But it is if you're on Instagram and you want to either post on Instagram or you just want to spend the night in a place that looks like it could be on Instagram, <laughs> this is it. It is just beautifully curated, beautifully decorated, delightful. Okay, so let's talk timing. Is there a best time to visit Joshua Tree? 
Well, Joshua Tree National Park is open year-round, so you can go whenever. I usually like to recommend going in the winter or spring just because uh, I like creature comforts, meaning I don't, I like temperate weather. (laughs) (laughs) I I like cool nights and sunny days, but not too hot. So I usually recommend um, for people who are like me, winter or spring, but you can certainly go in summer. And if you do, you might have a better chance of snagging some of those accommodations that I mentioned, either at Joshua Tree House or getting a camp spot. Absolutely. Okay. So where to next? Leaving Joshua Tree, you're going to be heading, again, out of the west entrance, heading um, north. And you'll have maybe an hour drive, again, not too, not too terrible, before you get to Mojave National Preserve. This is such a cool spot when we're talking about California deserts. Um, so Mojave National Preserve is actually twice the size of Joshua Tree, but it has like half the visitors. Oh, so you really almost have the park to yourself in a way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what makes? And- I mean, I think I think a lot of people have heard of the Mojave Desert. What makes the Mojave National Preserve, you know, worth stopping at? I think it's what people actually imagine. So people who've never been to the California deserts, I think when they think of desert, they actually imagine this, you know, because it's sort of like reminiscent of the movies, right? In the desert right. of like. There's these incredible sand dunes. They're called the Kelso Dunes. And if you do nothing else, I would say stop at Mojave National Preserve to see the Kelso Dunes. You're going to be getting really kind of just stark, vast landscapes of nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And one of the things I usually like to recommend for people who are going to Mojave National Preserve is even though road trips, I feel benefit from spontaneity and impulsive decisions with with Mojave, I always recommend doing a little bit of research ahead of time. Go on the website and check out their maps and check out the points of interest because the visitor center for Mojave is located very deep in the park. So you'll actually be driving quite a distance before you get to the visitor center. And you may have passed a lot of really cool things to see. And because the landscape is so, it looks like nothing, um, but it really isn't like any desert is. There's always life teeming below the surface. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say go on the website first and just check out a couple of points of interest. So you have an idea of what you want to see as you're driving into. Right into the visitor center. Right. So what are some tips unique to traveling in the desert? You kind of mentioned, you know, you definitely want to plan ahead because the visitor center is really deep in there. What are some other tips that people should know about? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. Always make sure that your gas tank is at least half full. And this is especially true when you're going into Mojave National Preserve because you're going to be probably traveling about 45 minutes or so um, just to even get into the park. And then once you're in there, it's another, let's say, hour and a half to get Mm. to the other side. So when I'm traveling through the desert, I always try to make sure my gas tank is at least half full. Um, I recommend to people to pack a small cooler with some non-perishable snacks as well as potable water, at least a gallon per person. Always have a reusable water bottle. And then bring a day pack for hikes, Uh, bring a flashlight and some extra batteries, a road atlas, not a GPS. (laughs) I mean, you can can have your GPS, but I will tell you when you are in between Joshua Tree and the Mojave National Preserve, your GPS is not going to work. So have a road atlas. (laughs) Right, right. What about cell coverage? I mean, I'm guessing maybe cell coverage might be kind of spotty. 
it is going to be spotty. I've actually been driving through that area and not had any cell coverage at all, any service at all. And then the other thing that I think people maybe who haven't been to the deserts forget or maybe don't realize is that the temperatures can be very extreme. And so I always have clothing to layer. I, you know, start the morning in like a little fleece or a flannel and by probably midday, I have that off and I'm in a tank top. So have layered clothing and always, always, always have sunscreen. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So where to next? Okay. Next is to the tragically named Death Valley National Park. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you wouldn't want to maybe go there, but you really should. It's about an hour and a half from Mojave, and you'll be entering on the east side when you're coming from Mojave National Preserve. So once you're in Death Valley, like what's something that you love about it that you think a lot of folks don't realize? So I'm sure people have heard of Death Valley as being like one of the hottest places on Earth, which it is. And that is because it's essentially a basin that's below sea level. So it is just this crater of a land of extremes. And there's a place inside Death Valley called Badwater Basin, which you can hike to. And it is literally the lowest point that you can stand in the United States. It's 282 feet below sea level. So what does that feel like? Well, like a lot of Death Valley, um, it feels extreme. It feels uh, epic. (laughs) It feels memorable. (laughs) What, what other kind of trivia or surprises can you share about Death Valley? It seems like there's a lot going on there. If it happens to be a very good monsoon season, you can get these incredible wildflowers. So in the lower elevations of Death Valley, the wildflowers will bloom February, March time. And then for some of the higher elevations, like Telescope Point, which is the highest point in Death Valley, you can get wildflowers in April and June. And I don't know if you've ever seen desert wildflowers, but they're so colorful and they're so beautiful. And like most wonderful things about the desert, you just can't believe they're there. (laughs) Right, right. So describe that. Are you talking about like, are we talking about like swaths of land just carpeted in wildflowers? Like I've seen photos of that. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. And again, all depends on rainfall, of course, right? So I have certainly seen desert wildflowers that are, you know, just like a little patch here and there, or Mm -hmm. just some very hardy, hardy ones that have shot up. Um, But on a year with with good rainfall, it will just be a blanket, just a blanket of color. Right. Definitely like an Instagrammable moment. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And the other thing a lot of people um, don't realize about Death Valley National Park is you can camp there. And I think people don't think that because, I don't know, Death Valley, it sounds like this place that you wouldn't even want to go. But there's actually a lot of campgrounds and there's campgrounds for, for kind of people of all interests. If you're a camper like me who likes to be close to amenities, there are campgrounds that have that, like Furnace Creek campground is a great one. It's really close to the town of Furnace Creek. So you can pop out of the park and you can shop for groceries and enjoy those creature comforts. Um, But if you're like a serious backpacker or someone who just wants to be kind of away from it all and and ruminate uh, on your own, there's a campground called Wild Rose Campground. And it's 
near Telescope Point, which I mentioned, which is that really high point in Death Valley. So you're going to get cooler temperatures and you're going to get a lot of alone time. So, so outside Joshua Tree and Death Valley, are there any towns or maybe side trips you like to recommend? Oh, yeah. Actually, um, this side trip will be very easy to do because as you're driving from Joshua Tree National Park on your way to Mojave National Preserve, you will be on Amboy Road, which crosses Route 66. And I don't know how much you know about Route 66, but there are several alignments of it um, Mm -hmm. as it changed over the years. And so Amboy Road takes you to the town of Amboy, which is on one of the original alignments, and it sits just south of I-40. So it actually parallels I-40 and it's just south of it. And along that road, you can go to like one of my most favorite Route 66 spots, which is Roy's Motel and Cafe. Uh, If you're a fan of old school vintage neon signage Roy's has one of the best mid-century neon signs and it's just this like it's just this beacon in the middle of the desert and so you can stop at Roy's and you can get snacks and drinks and take pictures and look around at the nothingness where Route 66 used to be a major <laughs> thoroughfare. <laughs> right, right. We actually did a whole segment on on a road trip along Route 66. So for people who'd like to kind of dig in a little more, they can just hit our, our archives and, and uh, listen to that. If I can fangirl a little bit, I listened to that podcast episode that you had. I think it was the one with Jim Hinckley, who is, um, you know, such a connoisseur of all things Route 66. And it was a wonderful episode. Oh, (laughs) thank you. He really hit on all of the great spots. And in California, Route 66 is really interesting because it does, you know, so much of it actually goes through the California deserts like Amboy, where Roy's is, as well as this little town of Ludlow they're all like in the middle of this place and you look around and you're like, how, how do people live here? How do people make, make a living? How do they survive? But that's, what's so cool about the deserts is that people do things, things grow. Joshua trees grow up out of the ground and wildflowers bloom and people have a life. I mean, it's just, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And I, you know, I know there's a new version of your guidebook, Route 66 Road Trip, uh, just out. So what do you think makes that stretch of road in California such an enduring icon? I think it is a snapshot of an American past that maybe many of us have only ever seen in in movies and television or read about in classic books. The Open Road, which not to name drop the title of my book, (laughs) but, but that idea of untethering yourself from your routines and your schedules and work and and all of the things that maybe sort of keep you keeping you tied to the real world the open road lets you leave all that behind and in California route 66 is so open i have driven on route 66 through california through those deserts and i have not seen another car i haven't seen especially when you're going like by death valley and mojave national preserve and it, it just opens your mind to think or not think. It lets you gaze out at the landscape. It's just very uh, spiritual in a way um, and very freeing. Well, Jessica, this has been really great. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad we got to talk. 
Jessica Dunham is the author of two travel books, The Open Road, 50 Best Road Trips in the USA, as well as Route 66 Road Trip, just out in an updated and expanded version. You can find more of Jessica's writing at dunham-media.com. As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and lots more on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. Hey, everybody. Satirius Johnson here. If you liked my interview with Jessica just now, there's plenty more like it in our archives. In fact, we've talked to more than a few expert road trippers on this show. People like food writer Jeff Gordonier, who shared his favorite culinary stops in the state, and Hollywood icon Kevin Costner, who talked about his top itineraries. The best way to access all of this great content is by subscribing to California Now using whatever podcast platform you like best. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, we're pretty much everywhere. You'll find more than 40 hours of travel advice and information on every travel topic imaginable. Check it out, and thanks for listening. California has thousands of miles of picturesque highway, and some are so spectacular and beautiful that they merit official designation as scenic byways. Here to tell us more about what that means and highlight a few favorites is Anne-Marie Brown. She's an author as well as expert on outdoor fun and is no stranger to the podcast. Welcome back to California Now, Anne-Marie. Thanks, Soterius. It's great to be here. It's been a while since your last appearance. I think it might have been maybe even two years. Could be, yeah. It's been, well, it's been a you know, eventful two years. (laughs) That's true. Well, we're definitely glad to have you back on the show. So start us off. What exactly is a scenic byway? They usually have one of six qualities that make them qualify. Scenery is always part of it, beautiful scenery. Uh, But they might also have great historic sites. They might have archaeological sites. They might have cultural sites that are really important, worth preserving or worth recognizing. So the Federal Highway Administration makes these designations. And then states can also designate highways. And in fact, California has more state scenic byways than any other state. Um, We also have more national ones. So we have a total of 63 scenic byways in California, and eight of those are nationally or federally designated, and 55 of them are California state designated. That's amazing. That's really great. And so being that there's so many, I'm, I'm thinking kind of like, For example, Highway 1, you know, that drive through Big Sur, is that considered a scenic byway? Is it it a national one or a state one? Yeah, it actually is. It's it's one of the federally designated ones. The Big Sur section of Highway 1 is considered a a scenic byway. And also the San Luis Obispo section of Highway 1 is considered a separate scenic byway since there's so many miles between those two. Other good examples would be uh, Tioga Pass Road, Highway 120 in Yosemite. That's a federally designated scenic byway. Death Valley's Highway 190 is a scenic byway. So these are all, you know, spectacular places. I mean, you know, as I said, they all score, you know, 10 plus on scenery for sure. Mm, And then they also usually have other qualities that make them, you know, specifically worthy of note. And they often have to do with history or archaeology or recreation. All right. So let's talk about a few, maybe starting in the northern third of the state. Um, There's got to be some amazing drives up there. Can you tell us about maybe one that stands out to you? Yeah. You know, one I really like a lot, and part of the reason I like it is because I don't think it's particularly well known, is the Trinity Scenic Byway. And that's in Trinity County, which is um, west of 
of Reading and east of the coast. And it actually runs right across that, that valley area. In fact, the nickname for the drive is called From the Valley Oaks to the Redwood Coast. <laughs> um, and it basically follows Highway 99 for 140 miles, starting west of Reading, ending up uh, near Blue Lake and Arcata, all the way at the coast. And how would you describe like what, is, what it looks like, what the landscape is like? Well, it's really varied, and that's what makes it interesting because you're starting in what's essentially the edge of the Central Valley, so it's very low elevation foothills, and then you're going along the Trinity River, which is a scenic river. It's a beautiful river uh, for much of the route, and then ending up at the Pacific Ocean. So, <laughs> so you've got all these different ecosystems you're going through along the way, and you know it's 140 miles, so theoretically you could. You could drive that in a day, obviously, but I really recommend that you take at least two days, and that's because there's so many great stops along the way. Like, what are some of the stops along the way? Well, for example, I mean, the, the, the road starts right by Shasta State Historic Park, which is a quick stop, but it's really interesting to see. There's an old courthouse museum, these beautiful old brick buildings that you can wander around. Photographers love that spot. Then you drive past Whiskey Town Lake, which if it's springtime, you're going to want to stop and take the hike to Whiskey Town Falls. It's a 220-foot high waterfall, really beautiful waterfall. Mm. You come to the town of Weaverville, which is a fantastic old gold rush town filled with 19th century buildings, no stoplights. Uh, a lot of people walking around with backpacks because it's the gateway to the Trinity Alps Wilderness. Um, and there's a lot of fascinating sites there. In fact, if you're into history at all, um, it has an 1874 Taoist temple called the Joss House, um, which has some amazing Chinese artifacts. So that that's one of my favorite little towns on that stretch. And then after that, you're heading out. The highway goes right next to the Trinity River, which is a designated wild and scenic river. So there are tons of places to stop and go rafting, kayaking, fly fishing, you know, or just to stop and look, scan the skies for ospreys or bald eagles, because mm. you're probably going to see them. You mentioned things like waterfalls and hiking. Is there a best time to go on that particular byway, maybe springtime? Yeah, I would definitely go in the spring. And the main reason is because that's when all the rafting and kayaking action starts to take place. Mm -hmm. So you can join a guided trip. There are several rafting companies. Trinity River Rafting Company does a great job. Uh, Bigfoot Rafting Company does a great job. So you can join a guided trip or you can rent your own inflatable kayak or inflatable raft and go out on your own on some of the calmer stretches of the river. So that usually starts about April each year and goes throughout the summer. Um, so that would be, you know, I, I would say aim to, to drive that one somewhere between March, April and July, something like that, just because you can really get the best of everything. Now, you know, food is always an important consideration on road trips. Um, any can't miss spots? Yeah, for sure. I mean, my, one of my favorite places, and this is actually a great place to stay and a great place to stop and eat, is Straw House Resorts. Um, that's in Big Flat, so it's almost exactly halfway in the drive. Uh, it's about, I'm going to say, 20 miles from Weaverville, but it's got a really great little cafe that serves, you know, baked goods, bagel sandwiches, really yummy food, and they uh, do a mean cappuccino. It's, you know, it's the kind of place you want to get coffee no matter what time of day it is because their coffee is just so good. And the <laughs> best part is you get to sit out on their great big deck, which overlooks the river, and you can see kayakers going by and swimmers jumping into the water. And 
it's it's just a really happy scene out there. And it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, so it's a treat. Oh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> All right, let's shift gears now and focus on another scenic byway. Where are you taking us next? Well, let's let's work our way north to south, I guess. And uh and completely switching gears, we'll go to the San Francisco Bay Area. So very urban environment, of course. There's some tremendous parklands, and most of those are centered along Highway 35, which is Skyline Boulevard on the San Francisco Peninsula. Um, And that's another scenic byway. This one's actually quite short. The designated section is only 23 miles long. It goes from basically San Francisco south to uh, just north of Los Gatos. So it's a short section. You could drive it in an hour, but why would you when there are nearly 250 miles of trails to hike and you can access them from about 30, 35 different trailheads along that road? So, so basically, like if I want to stop the car and stretch my legs, this byway is a is a good place for that. Absolutely, it's it's a hiker's highway. I'm going to call it that. You know, if you work your way north to south, uh, there are just a tremendous number of parklands that are all managed by the Mid Peninsula Regional Open Space District. Um, and you can you can Google that. You can look it up at openspace.org and it lists all their parklands. And there's just one after another. You you can't drive five minutes without hitting. A trailhead, right? So the first one, if we're heading south from Highway 92, which is the road that goes uh, from the peninsula out to Half Moon Bay to the coast, the first trailhead you come to is for Purissima Creek Redwoods, uh, where you can just do a short out and back trail through the redwoods, or you can take a big 10-mile loop, not see any civilization for 10 a 10-mile loop, which is fantastic. Uh, If you don't want to hike that far, you just drive another couple miles and there's a wonderful giant redwood tree called the Methuselah tree that's right alongside the road. It's about a five minute walk to get there. And that tree is, it's 14 feet in diameter, massive tree, right? Um, They say it's more than 1800 years old. It's a big, beautiful tree. So even if you're not a hiker, you can just go enjoy seeing that, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, at some point you're going to get hungry, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, like, you know, for the for locals who are in the know and, you know, maybe you're taking some time out to enjoy a drive down Skyline, where do they stop for food? First one is Alice's Restaurant, um, hmm. which is no relation to the Arlo Guthrie song at <laughs> all. Um, but it's a classic roadhouse. It's the kind of place where they're always, you know, a strange collection of vehicles parked out front, always lots of motorcycles, usually a few Porsches and maybe a Ferrari and, and then, you know, a, a 1960s station wagon. You never know who's mm-hmm. going to be there. There might be a billionaire and there might be somebody who's been living up in those redwoods for the next, last 40 years. So <laughs> interesting collection of people that go there. They do breakfast, lunch, dinner. Uh, I love their eggs Benedict. They do a variety of different types of Benedicts, but they're all good. They serve them on homemade biscuits and they're delicious. A lot of people are huge fans of their burgers. They do a bunch of different kinds of burgers too. So that's always a scene, always fun to stop there. If you want fine dining, um, there's a wonderful place that's open, just dinner only, and it's called The Mountain House. Uh, That's a great date night spot. Uh, again, it's set in the redwoods, and so they light up those redwoods at night. Mm. So even if you're going after dark, you get to see these big, wonderful trees. Oh, that sounds dramatic. Yep. Let's hit one more. Your choice. What do you think? Well, let's see. Let's let's go south again, and and much further south. We're going to talk about the Palms to Pine Scenic Byway, which is 
one that starts in Palm Desert and literally within a few steps of the El Paseo shopping district where you could, you know, go to Tiffany's and buy an engagement ring if you wanted to. Um, and then it, it heads up into the mountains and visits the beautiful little mountain town of Idlewild and then drops back down to Interstate 10 at Banning Pass. So that one's a little longer. It's 67 miles. Um, and great day trip because, again, you're getting this wide mix of ecosystems. You're getting to see, you know, starting in palm trees and desert washes and then moving up into the pinyon pines and then eventually moving up to the mile-high town of Idlewild where it's all pines and firs and then dropping back down again to the Inland Empire. So if you just want to get a whole lot of different climactic zones and different scenery in, in one drive. I can't think of anything more dramatic probably than Palms to Pines. Yeah, it almost seems like it almost showcases so much of the variety that California has to offer just on that one drive. Most of the road goes through the lands of Santa Rosa and San Jacinto National Monument. And then as you start these switchbacks driving up the road, um, you know, and it's definitely one you want to pull on the driving gloves for because there are a lot of switchbacks. You're going to pull over at every vista point you see. And the first one, which may be the most dramatic, is called the Coachella Valley Vista Point, where you're, you get this really broad, grand view of the desert floor. And of course, there's, you can see the palm trees dotting every single neighborhood. It's, it's really dramatic to take a look at that. So that's a treat and keep on driving. Uh, one of the best stops, I think, is at the Paradise Valley Cafe, mm-hmm. which is right where the main road, Highway 74, meets up with the junction of 371. And that's where the Pacific Crest Trail comes through. So people that are hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, 2,000 plus miles from Mexico to Canada, <laughs> are going to come crossing right over the road there. And they all stop at the Paradise Valley Cafe which is a great place for a burger or patty melt or a turkey burger. Um, and again, you know, for a driver, it's just fun to stop there and see who you meet. There's always a, in the summertime, spring and summertime, there's a bunch of backpacks out front because everybody drops their pack and goes in and gets some food. Places filled with rustic charm um, and very, very good food. So that's a fun stop. And then you head up all the way up to Idlewild, the last, last thousand feet or so to Idlewild, which, you know, Idlewild is a destination, you know, for especially people in Los Angeles, just for a great day trip or to go have an overnight and eat some amazing food. There's a lot of terrific restaurants in that in that little mountain town. Um, a couple of my favorites are Faro, which has some really wonderful Italian food, Cafe Aroma, which is kind of eclectic American food. Um, and there's often live music playing there. There's a terrific chocolate shop I always stop at called uh, El Buen Cacao. So a lot of contrast on that drive. I think it, it's just an amazing little snippet of what California has to offer. Yeah, absolutely. So before we wrap up, um, do you have any tips for people going on a California road trip, you know, whether it's planning ahead or, or what do you suggest? Slow down and enjoy the ride because nobody goes on a road trip to sit in the car. It's not about the destination, it's the journey, right? I know, it's a cliche, but it's so true, it's so right? so true. It's <laughs> well, Anne-Marie, this has been really great as always. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Thanks for having me, Soteris. It's always fun. Anne-Marie Brown is a travel writer and the author of 14 California guidebooks. You can find out more about her and where to find her work online at annemariebrown.com. 
As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and lots more on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. When you think of iconic California road trips, it's hard not to picture taking Highway 1 up the Central Coast. My next guests are fans of that, too, but say if you haven't experienced the beautiful and less well-known stretch north of San Francisco, you really ought to. Leah and Jeremy Garcia are the Oakland-based duo behind the travel blog and podcast Practical Wanderlust. On Twitter, they describe themselves as incredibly accident-prone coffee snobs and budget travelers. Leah, Jeremy, welcome to California Now. Thank you for having us. We're so excited. So tell us about Practical Wanderlust. Uh, How did it get started? So uh, about five years ago, we got married and quit our jobs and took off on a year-long honeymoon, uh, which was a complete disaster for the most part, but we had a good time (laughs) anyway. (laughs) And while we were traveling, uh, I started a blog just to kind of keep our friends and family back home in the loop. And by the time we got back, um, it had grown to a point where I was able to do it full time. Um, So that's kind of the origin of it. And then we expanded to the podcast last year and we've been doing it ever since. It's been it's been a really fun ride. So why why was it a, a a whole disaster? We had so many travel mishaps. At one point we we went rappelling down a waterfall and I had to get rescued because I had a panic attack and just couldn't stop screaming. Um so we're more just like we like to eat our way through <laughs> our travels. Yeah. Uh and maybe not <laughs> as much adventure. I learned a lot on that trip about my limits. So um yeah, we're very disaster prone. Anything that can go wrong around us definitely will. And yet you still go travel. So I love that the fact that you know like you don't feel like you have to have a perfect trip to have a, a perfect trip. Oh no, that's where you got all the best stories, right? It's from the disasters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're due for a mishap pretty I, soon. I, I, Running out of content. Mm. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Now, now you are no strangers to the stretch of Highway 1 south of San Francisco, but I hear you're also big fans of the drive along Highway 1 north of the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, absolutely. I'm from the Central Coast, so when I moved to the Bay Area in like 2009, I wanted to take full advantage of the northern route of the 1 because it was new to me at that point. Okay, so take us along for, for the ride. We're, we've just crossed over into Marin County. Where do we go first? Well, your first stop should be... I think the best photo op uh, of the Golden Gate Bridge, which is Battery Spencer, right across the bridge, the hills of Marin are right behind you, and you're looking out on San Francisco, and you can take a fantastic photo. So that, I think, is stop number one. And then you're going to start continuing up north. You're also going to pass Muir Woods, which is one of the best places to see redwoods close to San Francisco. Um You can go hiking in Muir Woods. It's absolutely gorgeous. If you haven't had a chance to see redwoods yet, it's one of the best places to go. And I would say that either late winter or early spring is the best time. In a lot of places, that's really rainy. But in California, there's slight rain and everything's just green and beautiful and there's not a lot of crowds. Yeah. And then as you continue driving north, you're going to get to Point Reyes. Um, Point Reyes, it's actually kind of a little peninsula that juts out off of Highway 1, but it's well worth a detour. So you're going to it's it's a national seashore. You can also find a beautiful cypress tunnel to drive through. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it makes a fantastic photo op. And at the top of Point Reyes of the peninsula, there's a 10 mile hike, which is fairly easy. It's on beach sand, which makes it a little harder, but it's really majestic. 
Yeah. And you can see sea lions and seals in the water and it's just gorgeous. Something that I really love, which I think is a really unique north of uh, San Francisco Highway 1 thing, it's called the Point Reyes Oyster Trail. And there's a series of little almost like shacks and little restaurants along the highway and along highway one and in Point Reyes where you can stop and get oysters like with some hot sauce and horseradish or you can actually get them broiled or grilled or barbecued. So that's like a must do. Even if you don't like oysters, just try them covered in cheese. They're amazing. My favorite place is the Marshall Mm. store. And I think honestly, that's what turned me on to oysters. I was not an oyster fan before, before I did this drive. And now I have to stop every single time. They're delicious. (laughs) <laughs> I turned you. Okay, so so continuing up north, up the coast, uh, what, what's our next stop? You're going to pass another beautiful photo op, which is the Point Arena Lighthouse. So it's on the way to Mendocino. And you can actually stay here. If you've, if you've decided that long drives are not for you, you can book a room at this lighthouse. But if not, it's absolutely gorgeous to just stop and take a picture. Um, mm. It's a really pretty photo op. And this is also near a beach that's called Bowling Ball Beach. It's got some fascinating geological formations, which I could not explain to you how they were formed, but they look a bit like bowling balls, <laughs> hence the name. I was really disappointed when I found out it wasn't just a find one and take one bowling ball emporium. That would have been that would have been cool. <laughs> <laughs> so you can actually stay at the lighthouses? You're st- you can actually stay at the lighthouse itself? Yes. Yeah. There's actually a few lighthouses along... Highway one that you can stay at, and this is one of them, and I think it's one of the most beautiful ones. I'm pretty sure there's only a couple of rooms there, so it books way in advance. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Okay, where to next? So if you keep driving, you're going to hit what I consider my favorite stop on this northern stretch, which is Mendocino. Totally. That's like the crown jewel of that area. So that's wine country, right? That's right. Yeah. Mendocino is a fantastic wine country. Well, Mendocino is kind of the hub. And then you take Highway 128 mm-hmm. through the Anderson Valley. And there's a bunch of wineries along Highway 128. It's it's just lined with wineries. Just phenomenal, delicious, amazing California wine. And that's worth a trip on its own. But Mendocino has a lot else going on. So you can actually spend quite a few days just in Mendocino, kind of exploring the wine country there and the wonderful views of the ocean and just oh, yeah. there's a lot to do in Mendocino just itself. Well, there's a couple of small towns that neighbor it. And there's a place called Little River where you can get kayaks and explore sea caves. And you can go down the, there's like the Little River and they have river otters and it's really cute. In the downtown area of Mendocino, there's all these really cute mom and pop shops and these like weird art galleries that people, when they retired, they were like, I'm going to make art out of street signs. Yeah. And they're making their living up there. Good it's really them. cute. There's also tasting rooms, too, of course, because oh, wine. Yeah. Wine, cheese, hot sauce, marmalade. And, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that There's a really good like jam and marmalade store um, yeah. and chutney. We got really good chutney one time. And they had samples mm. at one point, <laughs> which I love. There's also <laughs> tide pools. Um, so there's a state park in Mendocino called McCarricker. Uh, and they've got some of the best tide pooling that I've ever done especially in California, um, you have to kind of time it so that you're not going when the tide is too high or when it's coming in because that can get a little sketch. But during low tide, you can just Google it and figure out what the what time of day is the best time to go. But they're amazing tide pools. Okay, so uh, a lot a lot to do in Mendocino. Uh, what's our next stop if we continue driving north? 
So as you drive north, you'll get to Fort Bragg and Glass Beach. It's about 20 minutes. North yeah, it's of really it's really close. And if you're spending a couple of days in Mendocino and stopping there like some people do, I do recommend making a quick loop to Glass Beach. It's just a an amazing thing to see like essentially rain, a rainbow beach. Like it's like sand is rainbow. Um, so I recommend going at sunset because you can kind of see the the light of the sun, the, the rays hit and light up these glass pebbles and you get the full effect and it's it's stunning. It looks like a it looks like if somebody turned a took a beach and turned it into stained glass. Mm-hmm. It's really pretty. <laughs> yeah, it almost sounds to me like, you know, almost like a beach covered in like almost like little gems almost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great description of it. So, you know, north of Fort Bragg, Highway 1 cuts inland and takes you to Highway 101. And at that point, you're kind of entering some serious redwood country, right? That's right. And if you didn't stop at Muir Woods, it's okay because if you continue north of Highway 1 into where it connects with Highway 101, you'll get to my favorite detour of the entire trip, which is called Avenue of the Giants. So Avenue of the Giants is essentially a 30-minute stretch of old-growth redwoods. So when we say old-growth, that's like those are the really, really old ones that have been here for thousands of years, and they're enormous. There's, in fact, there's actually one particular redwood that's so big on the Avenue of the Giants that you can drive straight through it, which is a uniquely California mm-hmm. experience. It sounds like the the almost like the quintessential kind of natural California experience. Absolutely. And to me, it's the perfect like cap of this of this beautiful, you know, you've been on the coast the whole time. You've been looking at elephant seals and sea caves and glass beach. And and now you're in the redwoods. And to me, it's the crown jewel of the whole trip, even though it's technically a, a detour. I think it's well, well worth it. Well, you know, you really convinced me that this northern part of Highway 1 is is just as compelling as the southern stretch. I'm kind of curious, do you have any road trip tips for our listeners? Yes. So Jeremy was mentioning this earlier. There is definitely an ideal time of the year to do this road trip. And that's between February and April. Yeah, they call us the Golden State because there's so much chaparral. But at this point in time, everything is just green, rolling hills. It looks like you're driving through the Shire. And they're often covered in flowers. Hmm. Yes. It's right after the rainy season ends. So that's when we get super blooms. So you'll be driving past green hills and flowers. And um, this is also overlaps with the uh, monarch butterfly migration. So you'll see monarch butterflies along your route as well. And it overlaps with a period of gray whale migration. So since you'll be on the coast, um, look out (laughs) and look for spouts because you can see whales moving in pods at this time. All right. So one last thing, and then and then we'll let you two go. Are there any other below the radar road trips you recommend? We're doing a fantastic one this weekend, which is one of my favorites. So we're going to be driving from San Francisco through Yosemite National Park. And then once we get out of the eastern side of Yosemite, we're going to head down to June Lake and the June Lake Loop. And we'll be exploring that area, which is also close to Mammoth Lakes and the the whole area of the the eastern Sierra Nevada mountains. And it's it's absolutely stunning. We're going to be going during peak fall foliage. And I'm really excited about it. What what makes it so special? Just stunning, towering, monumental um, uh, rock formations. And the valley is beautiful. And you'll get a chance since you're, since you're driving through Yosemite to see the entire park. So you'll go from the valley all the way up to Tioga Pass. And then you'll be leaving Yosemite and heading kind of over the crest of the Sierra Nevadas. 
um, to the June Lake Loop, which is a much smaller little mountain town. Um, it's a it's a little 17 mile loop that goes through a couple of mountain towns that are all on these lakes, glacial lakes. Um, and so during the winter, you can go skiing and snowboarding there. During the fall, it's absolutely just one of the best places to see fall foliage. We'll be going kayaking. There's a brewery there. Just absolute gorgeous scenery. I mean, even if you aren't making any stops at all, you can just stare out the window the entire time. And it's it's the best of the Sierra Nevadas and the Eastern Sierra Nevadas, in my opinion. Sounds like another one, another uh, road trip to put on the list. Mm-hmm, definitely. Well, Leah, Jeremy, this has been really great. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Leah and Jeremy Garcia are the duo behind the blog and podcast Practical Wanderlust. That's practicalwanderlust.com or at Instagram at practicalwanderlust. As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and lots more on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. Thank you for listening to California Now. We hope you enjoyed this episode and get a chance to hit the road soon. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find our show on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, and please check our website. It's visitcalifornia.com.